Welcome to MoneyWeb at Midday, the actuality news show offering unique insights and in-depth analysis featuring South Africa's top business leaders, newsmakers and analysts for today's professionals. Your host, Jeremy Metz. Live every weekday at noon, and then we are up as a podcast. This is MoneyWeb at Midday. I'm Jeremy Maggs with 30 minutes of express news on developments here in South Africa and around the world, including interviews with business and political leaders, prominent newsmakers and top commentators. It's Tuesday, the 12th of December, and coming up on the program, we'll pay tribute to singer Zahara, who's died at the age of just 36. Union anger over the post office rescue plan, the global child hunger crisis is intensifying, and what tech-enabled airports of the future might look like. Postbank and Sasa say they're to phase out all physical cash payment points, including cash withdrawal of grants within post offices. The process is going to start in January next year and comes after a new rescue plan that's been approved by Cabinet. Not surprisingly, though, unions are not happy with this direction. Trevor Shaku speaks for the South African Federation of Trade Unions. He's with us now at the top of MoneyWeb at midday. And so how do your union members differ from what is currently on the table and has been agreed to? We differ with the provisions of the business rescue plan itself. The first part of the provision that we differ with is the question of the retrenchments of workers. Because in our view, workers ought not to be retrenched because we have the high level of unemployment in the country, we have the rising cost of living, but beyond that, It is not just the high level of unemployment, but it is the share of manufacturing jobs that have been declining in the past, meaning that we are still on the trajectory of deindustrialization. So we are opposed to that on the basis that it is proposing retrenchments. The counter-argument would be that you cannot save the post office unless there is a downsizing, and downsizing does mean retrenchments. We actually have a different view to that. We think that if, let's, for instance, do that assessment looking at the three years of Mark Bunch between 2016 and 2019. Now, when he arrived, he found the post office already technically insolvent because liabilities had gone beyond assets. But what he did was not necessarily to downsize, but was to, uh, to downsize and close certain branches because this is what is being proposed, closure of branches and the retrenchment of workers. What he did was to ensure that in order to return the company to positive equity, he then started even growing the assets of that particular entity. And you can't grow assets without growing or rather retaining at least the workers who will work on those particular assets. So we think that that is not being considered. But the second part... Well, hang on, let, let, me, let me pick you up on that. You will concede that times have changed. Things have got more difficult since the Mark Barnes era. Um, you surely cannot implement what he was doing three or four years ago into the current situation. That would be naive, surely. No, no, Jeremy. See this. If you say that the 
company is technically insolvent because the liabilities have gone up. Why do you then continue to sell off some of those assets? Because the crisis of negative equity we are finding the South African post office is, is on the basis of two things. It's on the basis of the fact that, of course, it has been mismanaged. But secondly, the main factor that is contributing to this negative equity has been the selling off of assets. And the selling off of assets is going to, in our view, cause a death spiral for that particular company because these are the assets which ought to be bringing income and revenue for the company. Now, they can't complain about economic losses when they are selling off assets that ought to be bringing them that particular income. So we are saying, even during, it's not a long time ago, already the difference, sorry, the changes that have been brought by technology were already there by the time of 2016. It's not like it's a new thing where there's been discovery and advancement in technological revolution and therefore things have drastically and fundamentally changed. No, they haven't. Mm. What needs to be done there is to retain the assets, retain the workers and ensure that the services that are provided in post office branches continue to be improved so that you retain the base of customers who continue to use post office and not leave them to go into private proprietors who currently are taking on that particular space. You would, al- second, you would also say, Trevor Shaku, that it needs better management uh, because indeed. you yourself have just said that uh, the organization for many years has been, badly, uh, has been badly managed. So would your union support any attempts at privatization? No, we don't support any attempts of privatization of that entity. We think that it is not true the mantra which has been repeated by the right-wingers and economic textbooks that in order to achieve efficiency, in order to ensure a company is run better, it has to be privatized. In fact, the example of Arcelometer between 2010 and 2019, it only made profit once in 2019. And it was a privately run company, which shows that it is not true that privatization can only be the only route through which we can improve the performance and the efficiency of staying on the crisis. We are opposed to the South African Post Office being privatized, and we think that we can return it to better management even under state owned. So very quickly, what is SAFTU's plan going forward? How do you plan to engage on this? Do you have a strategy? Yes. So we have a union that is organizing in that space called Zipaku. What they have told us is that because after the business rescue plan has been accepted, there is a three-month consultation period for Section 198. So the retrenchments have not taken effect. They would still be challenged at the CCMA mm. and in a negotiation that would be mediated by the Commission. So in that context, we'll be gain, uh, waiting for guidance in that regard. But we will also be utilizing that time to begin political education amongst workers to check amongst them if there's any readiness to fight back. But in that context, we think that we will have to wait also for the union to guide us as to what next steps should the federation take. All right, Trevor Shaku, thank you very much indeed from SAFTU. MoneyWeb at Midday, for all your up-to-date stories. Now, hunger is the most concerning issue affecting children around the world this year, according to almost half of adults surveyed in almost every continent by the Save the Children organization. Before we get to our next guest, I just want to reference uh, another disturbing statistic. Around 13 million children here in South Africa are currently receiving the Child Support Grant. 
but over 7 million of them 7 million of them remain below the food poverty line which uh, in 2022 was around 660 rand per person i'm in conversation now with uh, gugu kaba from the save the children's program in south africa she's the director and firstly can you provide me with a very broad overview of the current global hunger crisis is it getting worse Yes, the global hunger crisis is getting worse. And I'm sure you are aware of the fact that with climate change comes even the inability to produce sufficient food. So food insecurity is affected by the change of the type of soil we have and the ability to water the food, let alone the fact that we also have an economic crisis that is also increasing the prices of food such that even those that have some money cannot afford all the needs they need for a nutritious meal. So yes, we do have a crisis. And in South Africa, is the situation any better or any worse than the global median? In South Africa, the situation is worse. Remember, we've been dealing with a huge inequality gap and that leads to the fact that we are also having a poverty problem. So inequality, poverty, and the effects of climate change are even maximizing the inability to produce sufficient food and the hunger for children. And how is this crisis actually manifesting itself then? The crisis basically, it's incremental on the problems we already had. And we see it through the fact that even though some homes had gardens, and it's even worse with South Africa because now we're talking a challenge on lack of sufficient water or safe water supply. So it means even those that did have a garden, some areas of Mpumalanga Limpopo are struggling to even water those gardens. So it means the very little that they could do cannot be done. And as I said earlier, the economy has led to the fact that the breadwinner in the home is either getting half their salary or is not getting the salary at all. So the basic food supplies are not available in the home. And then we are also dealing with teenagers that are giving birth to children and are unable to breastfeed exclusively, which means the youngest child that should not be affected by malnutrition is affected because of lack of breastfeeding because people are used to the fact that they would buy the milk and give to the child when those that are buying now they even have the strength of the milk which means what they give to the child is insufficient for the nutrition of the body so the whole thing becomes even cyclical because from the birth of the child there's insufficiency and an inability to feed and an inability to even feed adults. So you have a problem that is cyclical, but even growing. So as far as South Africa in particular is concerned, are there immediate actions that Save the Children is advocating? Save the Children is advocating, firstly, that government needs to prioritize the ability to help communities to have safe water supply and an ability at least to grow their own food. If we have to at some point get to 
making sure that we've got, we still have community gardens because some community gardens have even died. So we are promoting the fact that there should be community gardens, there should be home gardens for each of the families. But at the same time, we need community-based organizations that have always done door-to-doors and home-based care to also help in the provision of food through increasing the ability to have our own food in the the homes. Then from there, there is a need even for schools, for instance, to grow their own food and uh, ensure that children that get to school have some food. Early childhood development centers, we know that there is nutrition programs, but they're not to the level that they should be. So we're calling on government to make sure that early childhood development centers and schools have sufficient nutrition. And of course, parents need to also be engaged. Parents and children need to be engaged in understanding how we can preserve the environment. We are dealing with a lot of poor sanitation, which leads to some uh, changes in the climate. So we are educating Mm. communities about environmental sustainability to reduce the effects of climate change. And just a last question for you, given that there are so many competing priorities, do you believe that South Africa is able to get on top of this problem? I do believe South Africa is able, as long as South Africa can change the way it views the outcomes of the challenges that we're dealing with. We have gotten to a point where we minimize the effects or we ignore the likely consequences, which leads us to find ourselves even in deeper trouble. South Africa is able, but South Africa needs to wake up to the consequences that we're facing. Gugu Kleiber, thank you very much indeed. You're listening to MoneyWeb at Midday. Now, I'm sure you'll agree with me that if you use an airport these days, it often can be a frustrating experience with congestion and delays. And fair to say that technology is playing a greater and greater role in this respect. But I guess the question is, is it being utilized quickly enough and optimally? Emin Zeran Sakir is Chief Executive Officer of Software Development House uh, Mangoro that is based in Istanbul in Turkey and joins me now with some thoughts on airports in the future. And the first question then is, there a gap between technology availability as it exists right now and the eventual effective implementation? Yes, sure. Actually, uh, one of the biggest gap is the actually the connectivity uh, in the available technology. I think that's the biggest issue. What I mean with that, there are a lot of, of course, progress in technology, as you know, especially in the recent years with artificial intelligence, 3D printing and everything. But the thing is, we are still not very efficient in implementing, let's say, omni-channel solutions, which means really where the technology speaks with each other, not acting as a standalone solution and really connected with all the data and everything. That's the biggest gap at the moment that we have. And uh, in order to maintain that, it needs really all the departments. That's valid for the airports and for most of the big retails, actually. The departments should be able to speak with each other, but I mean the IT, logistics, marketing, and all of them. And they really need to be able to work together and create solutions that talk to each other 
and that facilitate mm. the technology available now. I mean, how do you believe that airports, particularly in developing countries, and I'm thinking about South Africa, often with limited mm-hmm. resources, can keep pace then with the technological advancements that you talk about? Well, actually, uh, I think one of the good news is that technology has become pretty much available. And also, of course, you need to have quite some investments. But some of the things that really improve the passenger experience and many things around it can be also sold with decent investments and really with a good roadmap. And that's one of the, again, important things where the operators, the airport operators should really consider to make this step-by-step plan and the roadmap. And that is start with the solutions that can give results pretty quickly, but also improve the passenger experience, like use of digital channels. Start with the experience even before the airport. That's so important and really helps the passengers on their way to the destination, which is mostly mm-hmm. uh, for good reasons. So it is possible. It's all about a good roadmap and it's all about how to leverage the technology available now. You also make the point that apart from enhancing passenger experience at airports, critical these days that technology is used not only to reduce stress but also to improve general satisfaction. And we all know how visiting an airport, particularly a busy one, can mm-hmm. be a very difficult and, and, and stressful experience. Exactly. I Actually, we are working with one of the biggest airports in the world, Istanbul Airport, the new one. And there, it's really, as you said, uh, you can be pretty quickly in stress because it's a very huge airport. So how it is solved, you really, as I said, start to inform the passenger even before the airport. And at the airport, you have a lot of digital assistants working together with AI. So in every part of the journey, they are helping the passengers with their questions, like where the gate is, where the restaurant is, where the restroom is and everything. And one of the very critical thing is, it's very important that the passenger should feel they can give feedback when they need to. So that's like one of the thing that we always consider give the possibility to the passenger that they can give feedback to improve and also show them that it's taken into consideration and that comes with automations Mm. and this kind of stuff so so that you can immediately react to some feedback not like oh we keep it for future no you give me as for example the passenger said it's not clean here then you immediately receive it and give the notification to the related personnel and they go and they clean. So this is the experience and the speed that we need to give to the passenger in such an mm. environment. Or, or as, you su- as you suggest about speed, you also have some thoughts on how the internal layout of airports will change to accommodate new technology. What's the new look airport mm-hmm. going to, uh, to look like? Well, uh, I think one thing that we're going to recognize the most will be pretty much less human being, let's say. So uh, there is all these improvements in biometrics and, you know, use of e-passports and everything. Uh, And also the AI, the machine learning solutions where people can chat with uh, learning machine to get answers to their questions. So the 
attached to human being will be less. Uh, we will always need that, but it's going to be less. And also with, like, for example, with luggage, it already started in many of the airports. It's going to be procedures starting from home where you check in, you prepare everything and you just send your luggage. So, yeah, I think the key, my key word will be less human touch, more automation and uh, more self-help, let's say. Emin Sakir, thank you very much indeed. MoneyWeb at Midday for all your up-to-date stories. It's a poignant day today in the entertainment industry in South Africa. Messages of condolence continue to uh, arrive for multi-award winning Afro-pop musician Zahara, who's died at the age of just 36. She had been in hospital for the past fortnight, so let's look back on a life well lived. Uh, Leslie Mofokeng joins us on MoneyWeb at Midday. He speaks for the South African Music Awards and is also a well-known entertainment journalist. And Leslie, this has no doubt come as uh, a real shock to the music industry. Absolutely, Jeremy. Good afternoon uh, to you and the listeners. And thank you for the uh, invitation and this opportunity to look back at the life of uh, Zahara, um, who has contributed so much to South African music and entertainment. Um, So, yeah, absolutely. The industry is reeling with shock because we expected still so much from her. Before we talk about uh, the person and the contribution that she made, uh, let's reel back if we can. Uh, A self-taught guitarist uh, brought out a debut album and it reached gold status, if memory serves, within two or three days of its release. That is an astonishing accomplishment, isn't it? Absolutely. The world was different in uh, 2011 when Zahara released uh, her debut. Um, there was just something special about her, just the offering, what she was about. She was already known, her nickname was Spinach, where she comes from in the in East London. Um, and then she came to Johannesburg and worked with a company called TS Records under the tutelage of Ntlantla Mafu, of Mafiki Solo Fame, and uh, the production of, um, uh, uh, the name escapes me now, but anyway, they they produced something of a sound that was quite unusual. There was something authentic about it. There was something special about the guitar. There was something special about her voice. That combination really brought breathed the new life uh, to the industry and excited both critics and fans alike. Um, there was just something different about her from her hair, from how she spoke just how genuine she really was, uh, true to her story, true to what she was about as a South African, as a young South African woman who comes from a rural village and comes to this big city and has her own fears and has her own dreams. And that you could get, that you can hear 
from the music that she produced. I think I'm doing her a little bit of a disservice when I simply called her an Afro-pop musician. As you rightly say, there's a whole lot more to it than that. You spoke about the unique offering in terms of her music style, in terms of the way in which she uh, re-altered, recalibrated the whole genre. How would you How would you describe that? That's a difficult one. That actually is a difficult one because even when you spoke to her, she struggled to put herself in in a box. Um, I mean, if you've got, if you if you if you know music, you'd understand that it's not easy to to box what she did. Mm. I mean, there were those guitar riffs that gave you a sense of pop rock. Um, there there were those sensibilities that that sounded like gospel. Um, uh, th- th- there was that Afropop that everyone uh, seems to gravitate towards, but it was not easy to really say she is this, although she did go on to win awards for Afropop and, and for all of those genres, but that's uh, award ceremonies uh, trying to make sense of an offering. But in a conversation with Zahara, when you talk about what she was about, she was much, much more than what, than what uh, we categorized her to be. Um, and, and you can see that she really took her time. Her foundation was quite strong where she came from. She was exposed to a lot of influences and sounds, and that uh, came through in the music, in the albums that she released, not only Loliwe, that went on to sell multiple platinums, and one has seven uh, summer awards in one night as a solo act. No one has ever done that. Um and and so really, she was in a league of her own, mm. truly speaking. In 2019, Leslie, she very bravely opened up about her battle with alcohol addiction. That can't have been easy. It must, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, these are the challenges that sometimes fame brings, and 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 sometimes things become so much easy for you to access. To uh, these are things that. We don't really talk about the dark side of fame. Um, there are many stories of artists whose careers ground to a halt because of drugs. Um, many others uh, because of many other addictions and many other things that trip you on the way to, to superstardom. And we really have to, if anything, we really have to take lessons from Zahara's life. She was very brave. She was very generous to open up about the challenges that she faced. It's up to us who are still left um, in the industry, outside the industry, fans, family, friends, of what can we learn from her life. Um, And I wish that a lot more artists were that forthcoming, were that open about the struggles of fame, because all we see is the glitz and glam, the red carpet smiles, the gowns and the fans and the adulation and the adoration and the awards and all of that but there is much more that goes on behind the scenes and someone like Zahara has to be commended for really being that open Mm. 
about the other side of fame. Well, not just yeah. an addiction to alcohol, of course, but she also used a very powerful platform to speak out about violence against women in South Africa, something that she later revealed had happened to her. And I, I recall an interview with a local radio station last year, and this was very powerful. She said her music was not just for recognition, but, and I quote, to bring comfort to broken souls that need healing. That was uh, magnanimous and 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 very powerful, wasn't it? Powerful. I'd agree, powerful. I mean, Nina Simone says the work of the artist is to reflect the times that we're in. Um, and many other songs have come forward and many other musicians have come forward to talk about the message in the music or, or, or at least music that has value, that makes social commentary. Um, in her case, you'd find that most of the experiences that she sang about, um, she actually went through those. She actually talks about the fact that the songs that I read about reflect my own journey. And um, that's, that's, that's great. That's, that's something that you'd wish that the industry delivered more of. I'm not going to deny and dispute the fact that we have a lot of music out there and it's all about fun and dance and all of that. I think that's needed. I think there's a space for that. But we also are desperate for heroes. We also are desperate to be inspired by people who've traveled the journey, who come to you, and when they sing about something, they've gone through it. Um, You and I know how difficult it is for young people in South Africa. They're desperate for inspiration. They're desperate to see... Uh, progress in their lives and when you find someone like Zahara who's gone through the ranks who struggled to get to where she is and you see all the successes that she's gained I'm sure it does something to your spirit as a young person to say if she can do it so can I and now dead at the age of 36 with those memories uh, Leslie Mofokeng thank you very much indeed And before we leave you, other stories on our radar this Tuesday. The insurance giant Santam is warning today about increasing theft of high-value vehicles, which it says is pushing claims in the high end of the market. And the United Nations General Assembly is due to vote later today on a non-binding resolution demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. MoneyWeb at midday. We are live at noon weekdays. Then we're up as a podcast. Thank you for listening and goodbye.
Listen to the daily live stream of MoneyWeb at midday or download episodes on moneyweb.co.za, the MoneyWeb app, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or follow MoneyWeb News on social media for more updates. MoneyWeb, your trusted source for business and investment insights.